there's a lot of people that love the idea of local farms and whatever, but they don't want them near them. They don't mm. want the smell of the manure or, you know, the sound of animals or whatever it is that bothers them. Um, it, it, they don't like it, but they like the idea of local food. Well, you can't have both things. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Did you know that there could be a whole lot more locally grown beef available to us here in Washington, and particularly Western Washington, if it wasn't for one major bottleneck in the system? We find out what that bottleneck is this week as we talk with Marie Hegarty, and we learn how she grows custom, uh, small-scale, grass-fed beef near Custer, Washington. She shares her whole story, including how a change in circumstances in her life put pressure on her to the point where she either had to get bigger and, and start producing more food or sell the farm pretty emotional story and and cool background uh, to why she does what she does there in Custer. Again, Marie Haggerty is her name. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast where we get the real stories of the people behind our food grown here in Washington State. I'm Dylan Honkoop, your host, and I grew up on a farm here in Washington as well, actually not that far from where Marie's farm is. So this is very personal to me as well. Our sponsors are Washington, uh, the Dairy Farmers of Washington, uh, sharing the real stories of dairy produced here in Washington State, the family farms that produce the delicious products, uh, nutritious products as well uh, from our family dairy farms here in Washington. Also, Mana Insurance Group, uh, helping to protect your family's financial future, whether you're a farm, uh, personal uh, insurance, you know, your residence, uh, your auto life, etc. They do it all there um, from a really ethical and family-focused small-town perspective um, with big-town, you know, strategies as far as making sure you have the best protection possible, getting the best deal possible. So check them out, manainsurancegroup.com. Again, this is the Real Food, Real People podcast, and this week we talk with Marie Haggerty in Custer, Washington. So tell me about your farm. What do you... Right. I mean, cow is in the name, right? Yes, it is. So our main thing that we grow here is grass-fed beef. Okay. Um, We also do pigs seasonally, and I have a small hobby herd of dairy goats and a small hobby herd of dairy cows. How do the the goats... And the other animals around the pigs, et cetera. And I've seen some chickens around the barn here too. How do they feel about not being included in the farm name? You know, they, they probably, upset about they it? probably feel pretty upset, <laughs> I imagine. I mean, the goats insert themselves in literally every other way possible all the time. So, you know, they can get left out of the name because they're constantly in everything else. So are you saying that Jersey cows are basically like really big goats? Yes, yes. I just... That connection dawned on me. Yes, very similar. (laughs) Crawl through fences. They're obstinate. Yes. Want to be friendly all the time. Yes. But stubborn. Yes. I had two Jersey cows that passed away a couple of years ago, sadly, Mm. but I love them. But I, they can kind of be annoying. (laughs) So how did you get started doing this? So I really love animals a lot. Like that is my main thing in life is as animals and taking care of them. So about uh, 10 years ago, I bought this place. Um, It was only supposed to be a hobby farm, uh, you know, to raise my family 
on. Yeah. And uh, life circumstance changed, and I found myself here uh, by myself mm. and needed to figure out a way to make an income uh, using my property yeah. in addition to also working a couple other jobs to pay the mortgage. Um, what had you been doing at the time when you got the place? So like I, what, what was your job? So I was working as a veterinary technician. Okay. So still around animals and farming. Yes. And then I also had a housekeeping business that, so I would work my days off from being vet tech. I would work cleaning houses and yeah. I have continued to do that until this very time. That's hard work. Yes. I have slowly tapered off and away from that to, to do farming full time and to take care of the family that I have now. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. It was like, I, I have room for cow and I'm going to get a cow and I'm going to raise beef. And then I got some more cows. And then I, I realized I could raise bottle calves and I could kind of get the farm momentum going that way and now i still raise some bottle calves on the side but i have a nice breeding herd of of actual beef cows i don't have to do so many babies what was it like at that moment when you realized that you needed to do more with your property and needed to like try to survive raise more food make some income and actually sell Uh stuff from your farming hobby it was it was challenging it was a conversation i had with my dad um who help me a lot both of my parents have helped me a lot and encouraged me a lot but it's a conversation I had with my dad what was like do you want to do this for real and keep keep your place or should we you know put it for sale now that that circumstances have changed right no I'm very stubborn and I'm gonna make this work and 10 years later here I am trying to make it work still yeah (laughs) so so what was it like actually starting to sell stuff to people because before you were just growing food for your own family right right? it was exciting um i really feel for people that were buying beef from me in the beginning (laughs) why is that probably wasn't the best beef they've ever had um because they didn't really know what i was doing Mm. Uh, i was kind of under the assumption oh well if you have grass you can just you know throw a bovine out there and then you can butcher it eventually and it'll be great well that's not the case and now I know a lot more about it, and I think that like yeah. the beef quality has improved. I have two customers who have bought beef from me every year for the past eight years that I've been selling it, who this year told me that this is the very best beef that they have ever had. This this year, I got it. I nailed awesome. it. So. <laughs> so what is it that you have to do more than just, hey, cows go out, eat grass, and grow up and... So especially with grass-fed beef, the way that you finish them is really important. So grass-fed beef, you have to have the nicest grass, you know, the top choice feed in front of them for that last couple of months without stalling out, you know, their growth. And that can be really challenging, like, in the summer when it's all droughty, Mm -hmm. like, this last year. But um, really making sure that they're getting the very best quality feed so that they're gaining really well and that meat is starting to marble out and get really nice. Whereas if you just have them on a chewed out short pasture, you know, it's... Uh, so it's about fat. It is. It is oh. about fat. Yep. You got to have... They have to be gaining condition at the time of slaughter, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, for them to yield the best type of meat. Um, if they're just kind of on a maintenance ration or they're going down in you know quality and they're not gaining the meat's going to be a little tougher and and not as good 
So what what is a great feed that you give them? Like really good hay? Do you have to? So it's grass fed. So do you give them any grain at all? Um. So, uh, no and yes. Mm. I'll explain how that works. Yeah, for sure. So um, we slaughter multiple times during the year. Um, our first slaughter happens in March, and the cattle that we slaughter in March have been eating haylage. Uh, all you know winter months and in addition to the haylage we also get uh the spent brewery grains Mm. which is just barley that's been de-starched from the brewing process and those cattle that we are finishing over the winter get a little bit of that each day it ends up being about two percent of their daily intake of feed yeah um so if that's if that's the case, we always let our customers know that that has been mm. in their diet so that they that they're aware because at that point it isn't just grass fed. Right. Um as far as finishing other cattle like through spring and summer, they are just eating grass. Uh this last summer when we were kind of running out of grass, we actually put them on our hay field, which mm. was like usually don't graze the animals on your hay field, right? Cuz it can kind of ruin it. But that was like where the better grass was for our, them to really yes. really eat good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um we also were offering them a little bit of haylage uh at that time and for people that don't know what haylage is, that's yeah, grass. That. It's grass that's been um cut and then baled when the moisture content is still pretty high yeah. um it can it not can, dried out like hay right and then it's wrapped in that white plastic or green or pink or whatever and that's yep. those like marshmallows you see sitting yep. in fields so when you feed it to them it's it's fermented a little bit so mm. it's still well there's a lot of people that say oh grass fed it has to actually be grass that's growing on the ground but not it doesn't it's still grass yes. it's just been fermented it's like yes sauerkraut for cows yes exactly and they really <laughs> like it and well and uh, doesn't it keep more nutrients it in, for them in it, it than just dry yes, hay yes it keeps more nutrients the protein level is higher um it has i think it, uh, lactic acid i think is the pro yeah yeah <laughs> try that sounds get right. all sciency um so yes it has a higher protein and they actually really like it a lot and I really like the smell of it. Some people hate the smell of it. I think yeah. it smells good. <laughs> well, just like sauerkraut. Some people love it and some people yes. hate it. It's really a similar kind of thing. Yes. So that's how we grow and finish the animals. Um, the Feeding them the spent brewery grains, uh, I've found, at least for our customers that, that purchase from us, it's they don't mind that. Yeah. We ha- we do have a few that like want to be 100%, you know, very strict, and that's totally fine. Like, people have that choice. Um, but I've really found that, like, usually with our customers, it's more about how the animals are raised and cared for that they care about. Yeah. And if they are worried about grain being consumed, it's generally, like, have they been fed corn or soy? Mm. Is and. and you know, for various different reasons, but because that's yeah. not something we offer them, it's, it's not a right. problem. What about th- those animals that you do give a little bit of spent brewer's grains? Mm-hmm. How does that affect the meat? Can you tell the difference? Does it taste different? N- I can't tell the difference. Um, those animals do seem to marble a little bit better mm. um, than the the strictly grass-fed, but not by a whole lot. So if you're kind of circling back to what you asked earlier about, like, how do you finish, you know, what does that mean? Um, the, the grass-fed beef are always on, or finishing on grass, 
are always given the primo grass, the best grass that we have. And because of that, they are also marbling really well. Yeah. It kind of takes a little bit longer though, because you're not getting that big old whop of, you know, extra, but I yeah. don't notice the taste difference. And mm. I don't think that most people could maybe yeah. some like connoisseurs. Yeah. Like. Real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think it does taste different than like corn finished beef. Mm-hmm. Um, I think grass fed beef ten or with the spent brewery grains tends to have a little stronger beef flavor. Mm. I don't notice that as much in like corn finished yeah. beef myself. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, that, that, and that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> who who is joining us here, by the way? Oh, this is uh, this is one of our family milk cows, Snowflake. Snowflake. Yes, yeah, so she looks like she's hungry. She is. She's always hungry. She is currently lactating. She calved on June twenty eighth, mm. um, right in the middle of that really lots of heat that we were having yeah the heat dome yes one of those early mornings she was actually due july 4th but went a little early i think from the stress of the heat yeah um and her calf is is laying out there with the other uh animals uh her calf is sunday and uh anyways so this is snowflake i milk her every morning um sunday is separated overnight she stays here in the barn and then I milk Snowflake, and then the rest of the day, Sunday's with her. And we don't uh, take the calf away even for the night until they're about four months old. Mm. They're with the cow 24-7. So, wow. yeah. Snowflake makes plenty of milk to share. Nice. <laughs> yes. So, she's a really good girl. She is um, five now. I can't even believe she's that old, but she's five. So, how long does that go before she has another calf, and how does that all work for you guys? So she should be bred um, to calve again at the beginning of August. Um, our bull uh, was with our beef herd until uh, recently. And so um, the milk cows kind of just have to wait till he comes back from his job because the beef herd is a little more important. And, mm. and because we're not an actual dairy and we're not, you know, the money, we're not relying on money from income of, you know, yeah. the cows or the milk cows. Uh, they can just kind of calve whenever, and we just figure it out. Um, yeah. One of my cows out there is due uh, right around Thanksgiving, and the other one is due right around Christmas. Wow. Normally, we don't like to be calving this late, yeah. but it just, that was circumstances. So Is that hard to do deal with in like a, a baby calf in yes. like wintertime? Yes, yes. So um, I monitor um, my dairy animals very frequently all the time anyway but during the winter if we're expecting babies it's like you know five or six times a day that I'm uh out here checking and then through the night especially if their udders are getting big and um looking like they're close to calving I usually know when like you know about a week window of when they're supposed to go knowing when they've been bred so so how did you learn how to do all this stuff (sighs) Um, like, did did you grow up on a farm? I did not grow up on a farm. Um, I grew up on an acre and had chickens and and uh, you know dogs and cats. But uh, I so it wasn't like you grew up in a high no, rise apartment building. Or no, something. I was in 4-H. Um, I I've always loved animals. I learned kind of with for cattle. I worked as a um, as a vet tech. Uh, for Nooksack Animal Hospital for like a summer Mm -hmm. and I really was very interested in 
cows when I got to go out on the farm calls to do cow stuff. And then uh, my aunt and uncle have a ranch um, down in Oregon that I would go and help do stuff. Mm. And it used to be it's because I got to like ride horses and do stuff. And then I realized, oh, uh, I actually really like the cows. I like Mm. horses, but I love cows. You guys have any horses here? We do. We have three. Um, So they're at the way back of our property for winter. Um, we have two geldings that are in their 30s and a mare wow. that's about 15. Yeah. 30s. That's yes, old yes, for a horse. Yes. They yeah. have like pretty much no teeth. I take yeah. um, I take feed out to them every day. They get like a mash that's, yeah. uh, you know, a grain that's been soaked, grain and alfalfa pellets that have been soaked for the day. And they eat that. (laughs) Old elderly horses. Have blankets on. And yes, and they kind of just are living their life out there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you had just a little tiny bit of farming in your family background. Yes. But not a ton. Right. Or at least not your parents. Not my parents. Um, So my grandmother, my mom's mom, was raised on a Jersey dairy. My grandma was... um, she was in 4-H and showed her Jersey cattle extensively in Oregon and was known for having a really beautiful, wonderful Jersey herd. So kind of, I don't know, it was in my blood, I guess, or yeah. something. Uh, skipped a generation. Uh-huh. Um, my grandma passed away a couple of years ago, and that was that was really sad for me. I was very close with my grandma. And one of the things that we talked about all the time was cows and the farm and the animals. And she always wanted to hear about the baby goats, especially. And the yeah. way she said baby goats was so cute. Um, so during, you know, kidding season, how many baby goats? And then every time a calf was born, she wanted to know about it. And yeah. and so that was a really special connection. Um Several years ago, I had the opportunity to take a calf by the nursing home that she was in down in Oregon and visit, and that was just, like, the best thing ever. And that calf uh, bawled, you know, it it made a noise. And she said... She didn't see it make the noise. It was kind of behind her. And she said, what was that? And I said, well, Grandma, that was the calf bawling. And she started crying. Mm. And I said, Grandma, why are you crying? And she said, I forgot what that sounded like. And I was like... Wow. You know, this is somebody that was so much a part of their life and then hadn't been in, you know, decades. And then to hear that and have all those memories come flooding back, she just thought it was the best thing ever. Wow. Yeah. So I guess kind of runs in my blood as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, why do you do it? And why do you do it the way that you do it? So, um... I think that animal agriculture is really important. Mm. I think that it is an amazing way to feed people. I think that there's a lot of uh, nutrients that come from animal products that are very difficult to get uh, from plants. While we can, it sure does take a lot more effort, I guess. Um, I think I will never be able to convince anybody to be vegan or vegetarian but I can convince people that there's another option for buying uh, meat products or dairy products uh, or eggs or, you know, things like that that come from animals from different sources other than big, you know, egg, which is important too. But if that is something that bothers people, the way that animals are raised in, um, you know, big egg sort of stuff, feedlots and that sort of stuff, that there are other options and they're great options. And so I can 
I can provide that option for somebody and I can keep a few animals out of the bigger pipeline, I guess. Um, yeah. Because I, I also think that's important for the animals. Yeah. That's, I guess, why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of people who are very concerned about how animal how food animals are treated. And I think there's a lot of rhetoric out there that paints this picture that every farm is this terrible, horrible place that exploits animals and is awful. And that's just not the case. Like, there, there are so many places that are not like that. And we never really hear about them. We mostly see these awful, you know, cases that I think are really... I don't think they occur that often, but that's what people yep. see. That's that's what's on the media. That's what is in your face all the time when really that isn't the majority. That is other farmers are looking at those farms like you guys are terrible people, just like everyone else is looking at them like they're terrible people. Yeah. So have you gotten criticism for your farm? I would say, you know, this is you're doing an amazing job and this is what people aspire to and aspire to, you know, have their food raised this way. But definitely have gotten criticism. Yes. Really? Yes. So even with what you're doing here. Yes. So there's I've had people say, well, how can you slaughter animals if you love them so much? Okay. well, fair point. Like that's a question. That's a good question. And I, you know, explain Um, we farm in a very uh, ecologically sensitive area. We are very close to Drayton Harbor. We're right on California Creek. It's you know, there's the potential for. Uh, manure runoff you know we have to be extra careful about how we do things in the past before we really knew that you know we could be affecting the the environment in, in the ways that we could be we probably didn't manage our farm as well as we could and uh, there were people that criticized that and so we made a lot of changes that you know the, put in a lot of infrastructure made a lot of changes to make that better um, so I think, yes, there's been criticism. There's a lot of people that love the idea of local farms and whatever, but they don't want them near them. They don't mm. want the smell of the manure or, you know, the sound of animals or whatever it is that bothers them. Um, that they don't like it, but they like the idea of local food. Well, you can't have both things, you know, all the farms can't be in one little area because that's not how our county's set up kind of a nimby thing not not in my backyard yeah you just in someone else's right you know and it's really hard if you're if if like so our farm this is zoned you know to to have farming here it's okay for us to farm it's it's not our decision if just you know down the road there can be a subdivision or you know but like that that's not our fault we are using our land as it's you know to be used yeah so we try to do we try to do the things to avoid the criticism because in my mind those are the right things to be doing anyway. Yeah. Um it's the right thing to be concerned about your environmental impact no yeah. matter what industry you're in. Um and it's the right thing to be taking care of your animals the best that you can whatever that means. Uh and to me that means a lot. I do a lot <laughs> for them. Yeah. So um I don't let the criticism bother me as much mm-hmm. as I used to because I think, especially as I've gotten older, I think that people don't, they can have opinions and that's fine. And they can put their opinions on you and that's fine. That doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. 
it just means that's their opinion. <laughs> so I just don't worry about it now as much. Yeah. Or I try to not worry about it. My husband would disagree with that statement. <laughs> He's like, no, it still gets under your skin no, sometimes. Yes, yes, yeah. for sure. How many cattle do you produce then in a given year? Like how big is your operation? So we have um, 22 head of breeding animals. Mm. And currently we have uh, 55 head total. That's all the different ages. So little calves to, you know, getting butchered and uh March to we have a 14 year old beef mama Mm. um so last year we butchered 10 head uh this coming year we have 12 uh possibly 13 to do Mm. and hoping in the next couple of years we can bump that number up to about 20 the the kind of bottleneck for that is processing Mm. Of course, I'm sure you yeah, know that. Yeah, we, we hear that over and yes, over. Yes, and also customers. So it's um, every year I've been able to sell out of what we're producing, and every year I think, how am I going to do it? Because right. every year we're adding more, um, and I and I just hope that it continues to to grow and and something people are interested in because it's important. <laughs> yeah. Did COVID change that? We've been hearing from a lot of people who were like, oh, COVID, oh. when that hit, and people oh. saw empty shelves or like, oh. get me local beef. Yeah, it was nuts. It was like, I think we were like pre, like pre-sold out of everything we had on the books to be slaughtered last year. We were sold out of shares that were coming up by like the end of April. It was nuts. Like normally I'm like in August, I'm like, okay, we've got a couple shares left for September and I'm, you know, biting my nails, hoping to get them sold. And they were just done already. Um, And it was like, oh, well, that was easy. And last year was also the first year we did USDA processing. So Mm. we had cuts to sell and that just flew out of the freezer. Like I offered free delivery for, you know, like purchase over $35. Mm -hmm. That beef that we had USDA processed, I don't think it was even in the freezer for three weeks before it was gone. Like, it it just left. So, what's the difference? (laughs) USDA versus what, and why is it different? So, USDA process means that we can sell it by the cut. It's... um, it's slaughtered and processed under USDA inspection. There's an inspector that's right there watching what's happening. Um, Whereas custom exempt slaughter is inspected by the Washington state department of ag. So WSDA and that state versus the feds. Right. Okay. And when we sell, um, custom exempt shares we cannot sell it by the piece so like Mm. if you want a steak i can't sell you a package of steak that's been slaughtered through custom exempt i can only sell you steak that was done usda so usda is lots more expensive for us to get processed and then it's also um really hard to find a processor, especially a local processor who has room to do your animal. Mm. So a lot of process or a lot of um, producers around here, they have to go to Eastern Washington, Idaho, down to Oregon. So they're having to cart their animals all the way there. Not good for the animals. It's not good for or the animals. As good, right? In in my opinion, and I say this in you'll hear me say in my opinion a lot because oh. I don't I don't want to step on toes. I know lots of producers on lots of farms 
farmers. Everybody does stuff different, and that's totally fine. We're all getting food out to the people. We're doing it in different ways, and different things, you know, rank differently in importance to us. Except for we all really care about our animals. We all really care about the food that we're producing, and we all really want to get it out there to the public to consume. It's just that some things are a little the hierarchy of what is important is different for people and that doesn't make it wrong or right it's just different so if it's not usda inspected or whatever certified Mm -hmm. it's state inspected instead Mm -hmm. and then you can only buy a share how much is that's like a quarter of a cow half a cow whole cow whatever you have freezer space for kind of thing so i think the last time i checked uh, Washington State allows it to be sold down to the 16th share, I oh, think it is. 16th of an ounce. Oh. I think it's either a 16th or an 8th. I should look that up so I know. Oh. Um, but it's something, it's either a 16th or an 8th. However, most of the processors that do custom exempt slaughter do not want to do 16th and 8th shares. They only want to go down to a quarter share because it's very difficult for them to have to be separating dividing out out the shares you know the oh this person the 16th share gets you know one of this steak and three hamburger packet you know whatever like that's a lot of extra work and then that's a lot more paperwork and phone calls and things like that that they have to make and so our processor that we use locally that does our custom exempt stuff they do quarters so that's that's kind of the lowest that we can can do so it sounds like you can produce more beef Yes. People want to eat more local beef. Yes. But you can't necessarily get it processed in a way that makes it easy for them to buy it. And that's the bottleneck. That's correct. And then there's also the caveat for me personally. I'm not willing to cart my animals to eastern Washington or to Oregon to get processed. I my personal feeling is that's too stressful for the animals and I that's not what I'm doing this for. Yeah. So everything that we produce here is born here and is slaughtered here. The exception with that is when we do do USDA, we take them to our friend's farm in Everson where the mobile USDA mm. uh, unit can come and, and process them. So the the farthest our cattle ever go to be processed is a 30 minute drive across the county Hmm. and even then i'm like i don't know if this you know but usually it's it's done here right in front of this barn they're born here and they die here that's how it is we don't sell uh steers we don't uh we used to sell a few but now we we don't have to (laughs) so sounds like everything happens around this barn because you said before we started you even got married in here we even got married in here (laughs) it it didn't look like this when we got married it was beautiful um but yes we did we got married in here it was wonderful it's so beautiful (laughs) and now it looks like a barn again (laughs) there's poop and chickens and cats and hay and yeah a little bit different living the farm life yeah it's i have a love-hate relationship with this barn this barn is like uh, just last one more year, don't fall over, or, oh, it's too small, or, oh, it's, you know, this, that, yeah. or the other, and then when we have these, like, massive rain events, or these crazy snowstorms, or whatever, I'm like, oh, thank God we have this barn. Yeah, It's right? so detested. Oh, I love this barn, you know, so, good job, barn. Way to be a good <laughs> barn. 
how were things this summer? You, you talked about when we had the heat dome, that heat wave, whatever. We, I called it at the time. I called it a heat storm because really it was damaging. It was awful. So hot. What did it do to you guys here? So um, we had to uh, get some fans, some circulation going here because our animals wanted to come in here to be in the shade. But yeah. it was so hot and stagnant. Normally this barn, you know, it's very well ventilated the way that it's built. But it was so hot. So we got these big fans. We installed one permanently that's over there in the corner. It's way too big. Um, and my uh, my milking animals, so my, my uh, doe goats that were in milk at the time, I was coming out every few hours to hose them down. Mm-hmm. Um, my cow, Snowflake, that was over here a few minutes ago, she was having to get hosed down uh, because she was had a lot of edema or swelling in her udder mm. and um, underneath her belly uh, from from getting ready to calve mm. and like in her ankles. <laughs> Big pregnant lady, you yeah. know. So she was getting hosed down to keep her cool. And so it was just a lot of like running out to the beef herd and make sure they weren't running out of water and pumping like every couple hours out there. It was a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> it was equally as frantic as as having all the the water a couple of days ago like just trying to get trying to make sure the animals were taken care of and also our house and us and you know it was a lot of extra yeah explain what happened with that because we just went through this terrible flood here and some places got river flooding and all this crazy stuff has been going on but it's affected so many places beyond just the river yes so we didn't get river flooding what happened with us is the ground water level rose you know significantly and all of a sudden the drainage around our house that normally keeps water out of our basement suddenly wasn't and it Mm. was rushing in like a like like a hose had been turned on just like full blast just like hundreds of gallons of water just pouring into the basement and I'm so glad my husband was here because sometimes he's uh in Australia at this mm. time, he's that's where he's from, and he goes back. And I was so okay. glad he was here um, because he was making sure that the sump pumps we did have were functioning. One of them quit, so he had to get it going again. Then he brought in some other pumps that we use for watering cattle, and was you know getting trying to mitigate it as fast as it was coming in. And yeah. oh, it was just a disaster. But luckily, at our house. It only came into our, we have a finished basement, or did. (laughs) Um, It it only came in the basement, and at any given time, it was only about three inches deep. If we hadn't had those pumps running and we we weren't, Mm. like, on it how we were, it would have probably been feet. Um, The amount of water that we were pumping out just, like, constantly. (sighs) Anyway, so of the things that could have gone wrong, it, it, you know, wasn't that big of a deal it ruined carpet and drywall and some furniture and that, oh well you know mm, that still sounds awful to have to replace uh, it's awful and it was really gross to clean up but i'm yeah. so i feel so bad for the people that you know like in everson and sumas and ferndale where it was like feet of water with all the river silt and muck and just yuck coming in yeah. that's uh how, how did the farm part of everything do out here how did the animals do? so the animals all did well um our we had some flooding uh, out in our pastures the little creek that like drains us and the golf course just couldn't keep up with the water so it backed up a lot and was significantly deep um in a few places and then it also washed out part of the road to the back of our property um where the horses are so i couldn't get out to them for a couple of days to, to yeah. get them fed they're fine um 
my goats all came into this main part of the barn and were in here for a couple of days and just so chaotic but it, it was too wet and their goat houses were getting you know saturated and so they happily bounced around in here for two days just making everything a big mess <laughs> when you said you want to do the interview in the barn i was like ah okay well, you cleaned up really quick <laughs> Well, this is where I feel comfortable in barns. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. This, <laughs> this is, my is comfort zone. I spend most of my time out here each day. So yeah. this this is here and like at the, the kitchen table in my kitchen is kind of the two places I'm at the most. So how can people buy your stuff? Like, do you have a website or anything? We do have yeah. a website. Um, it needs to be updated. I'm really bad yeah. at it. It's true for just about any website. It's exhausting. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I'm also very active on our Facebook page. Okay, and nice. um, so if you search Fair Cows Path Farm on Facebook, you'll find us. Um, I post there quite often. And then our website is faircowspathfarm.com. Okay. And there is a way at a couple different ways on the website to contact us and it'll yeah. say, it'll say like order now or contact us here and all that does is pop up a, an email thing to yeah. email us and that's kind of the best way yeah. i'm really good about getting back to people it's one of the things i hear a lot is that oh well, we contacted this farm and we didn't hear back from them but you got back to us right away you know awesome. like yeah. i'm motivated to to get our you know what we grow and get our product out to people and yeah. so by not returning phone calls or emails that kind of doesn't do yeah. my business any good you yeah. know some people are probably like oh i'm just busy farming and i don't have time to check email but yeah if you're doing especially if you're doing direct to consumer stuff yes you have to and like that's yeah. the great thing about smartphones you know the great and the awful thing is that <laughs> you always have them in your pocket right. exactly <laughs> you can get that little ding notification yeah. oh, there they are uh, another notification yeah it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing i know i'm always <laughs> like every time we sell to a new customer i'm like oh i hope they liked it <laughs> this tastes terrible i yeah, luckily oh, thought it was great yeah but, luckily yeah. haven't had any of that and often Often what I do, this is a little my little trade secret, is if we do have a new customer that's like ordered a quarter beef or something, um, that's usually kind of what they start with. I try to make sure that the rest of that animal is going to a customer that we've had for a long time or this mm. is a repeat customer that I feel comfortable asking in case Just that in case, yeah. in case that person that, that's new is like this is terrible. <laughs> that I can check and ask somebody like, that... Am I crazy? Because I think everything was fine. And then yes. somebody you know is like, no, it was actually really good. Yeah. Or <laughs> the, or they could be like, yeah, something was wrong with it. And then I can backtrack and, and figure out like what could have gone wrong between when it yeah. was alive here and when it left on the truck. <laughs> have you ever had that happen? Not yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet. Awesome. So, How'd you come up with the name? Ah, yes. So back in the days when I wanted to be quaint and cute and, oh, yeah, I have this farm and this cute little name and that made sense, um, I, I chose it. Now I'm like, this is a really long name that nobody can say or remember. But, oh, well, that's fine. I'm just going to go with it. Um, so I am from Irish Heritage. Okay. And yep. the Fair Cow's Path is the Gaelic name for the Milky Way galaxy. So instead of calling it Milky Way, it's Fair Cow's Path. 
And I've always been really interested in uh, the stars, and I think yeah. they're super beautiful, and that kind of all connects everybody. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Back then, it seemed like a good idea, <laughs> but I really love um, like the like the shape of a star. I've always really thought that that was a pretty shape. Yeah. So like our brand uh, incorporates a star, mm. and that's part of our logo that that we had yeah. made and stuff like that. So. It all sort of fits together if you know the backstory. Otherwise, you're like, that's a weird name. <laughs> but it's my name. It's our name. <laughs> I'm proud of it, sort of. I also think it's kind of silly. <laughs> I think it's awesome. It works. <laughs> Thanks for sharing all this info yeah. about how you do everything. Hopefully, you haven't given away any of your uh, trade secrets. Oh, no, I don't think so. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's other people that have thought of the same thing. I would really like to tell people, like, get up on my little soapbox right now and yeah. say that, like... You're actually on a hay bale, but... Oh, yeah, I'm on a hay... I'm literally <laughs> sitting on a hay bale that's going to get fed goats later. Yeah. Um, so much for the soapbox. It's just a hay bale. That's yeah. what farmers do. I just really want to tell people that are interested in like supporting local farms and small producers that are hesitant to buy like a quarter beef. Like they're like, well, how do you even do that? Or like, how does that work? That every small producer, every small farm, even the bigger ones are so willing to help walk you through that process. Mm. That's a part of our job. And it's not as scary as you think. Mm. Like I can walk you through the whole process. I can make it really simple. I can even talk to the butcher for you. If you're not comfortable, I can deliver it to your house. And it's, mm. it's not as scary as you think. And a quarter beef also isn't as much as you think it is. Cause mm. like people are like, Oh, it's hundreds of pounds. You know, it's, yeah. it's much easier and much more simple. And people that we've had as new customers that have been really tentative have, have said like it, this is so much easier than I thought it was going to mm. be. And I'm so glad that I like went ahead and tried it. So if there's anybody out there that's thinking of trying, you don't have to buy from us. I'm not trying to plug yeah. our farm specifically, but like, Reach out to reach out to those people that are selling beef if you're interested or pork or whatever type of meat you're interested in. Reach out to them. They're so willing to help you. And it really helps the small farmers to be able to sell their product. Yeah. <laughs> so helps us a lot. Helps us be part of the community and, and you know, run our businesses if you're supporting us and we can support our community back. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, as you continue to grow, good luck. Thanks. Keep it up. <laughs> and thanks for having me here to your barn. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I view Anytime. this as very hospitable that someone allows me to hang on their barn. <laughs> I love that, like, this whole time I've been sitting here, our bull has been staring at me. He's been standing right there, <laughs> just giving me, like, the stink eye this whole yeah, time. I didn't notice him back there. <laughs> I'm like, stop looking at me. He's a big boy, isn't he? He is. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'd want to hang around with him. I don't really like him. If he got grumpy him. with me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, not good. I'm not a fan. That's Gary. Um, <laughs> my husband really likes Gary. I'm, I don't. I like for Gary to not be in my space. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming out here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 